0: Hello to all my dentists and Reiki healers. It's Beautiful Anonymous, one hour, one phone call, no names, no holes barred.
1: I'd rather go one-on-one, I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi
0: everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for trying to call. Thanks to everybody who's buying tickets for our live shows out there, both the beautiful anonymous tapings and the stand-up shows, ChrisGeth.com for tickets. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on Saturday the 24th. If you're downloading this week of, I'd love to see you out there in Pennsylvania. I love doing this show. If you've listened for any length of time, you know how lucky I feel. Sometimes my mind gets blown. Sometimes, sometimes things are silly. And then it... it Sometimes people just do stuff that's so specific that I love it. And that's what we got this week, right? Like a few weeks ago, you had one end of the spectrum. When it, Sometimes people tell me about their jobs, right? A few weeks ago, we had somebody who was a trucker. I said, oh, I've always had questions about being a trucker. Trucker, this is like an iconic job. This is like an archetype. We all have visions in our head of what, what that life is like. Can I ask you all the questions about it? It's sort of this broad category and I get access to it. And those always amaze me. Those are some of my favorite ones. And then you have stuff like this week where our caller is a public speaking coach for dentists. That's what we're, that's, and I sit here and sometimes I go, man, I also get to hear about people who have lives that are so specific where I go, I can never even imagine that could have been a thing, could be a thing. And obviously that's just one bullet point in a person's layered life, but it's a cool one. We're going to hear about that and a whole lot more because we bring you people's stories, man. And that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes people wind up doing these things that are so specific where they, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the president. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a public speaking coach for dentists. It's not even a thing we know exists. There's all these things out there in the world, but this is a show about real people, man. It's a show about real people telling their real stories, not just fancy people, not just, not just sensationalistic stories, real stories, real life. That's what we give you here. Also, a lot of people in the community were excited when our little show got added to the archives at the Library of Congress. You see, this is where that idea was born, and this is the caller we have to thank for that. Thank you, caller. Enjoy the call.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hi. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting.
0: I'm excited too.
1: Yeah. How's your day going?
0: My day is going well. I'm sitting in New Jersey looking out a window as the snow falls. It's really beautiful. That being said, we were in Florida for a while and uh, my my wife is not thrilled to have a snowstorm within a couple days of us getting back. She doesn't like it. I think there's a lot of beauty in it, but I'm also like an introverted homebody. So how are you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just in Atlanta, so it's cold for us here, but like not anything like a snowstorm. I would not want to do that. That does not sound fun. Go back to Florida.
0: Well... I was living with my parents for five weeks and it hit oh. a well, it hit a point where I said, This is really lovely, and they're lovely people, and they took such good care of us and they loved having so much time with their grandson. But at some point I said to I said, you know, I'm a 40-year-old man and we own a home. <laughs> like I would like to live in the home that I'm paying the mortgage on. And she understood that. And I also, here's a dumb thing. I was working out of their garage and I just had a kitchen chair and I said, if I don't get home to where I have an actual chair, you can sit in my back is like killing. It's killing
1: it's, me. Yeah. I've been working on a kitchen chair for the last year. And no. every time I go to think oh, maybe, and it's so funny because I'm actually in the garage that was converted into a bonus room. Hmm. So it's, and I don't know if you can hear it, but there's like a little heater going So because there's like no actual air conditioning or like heating in this room. We can't be living like but this, crouching I in garages with space heaters. I know. Can't be
0: living like this much I
1: longer. <laughs> I know. It's funny because uh, that's actually like the choice that I have to kind of make in the next like 36 hours. So I, and it's funny that you were with your parents too. I decided to move back to the States from Europe because of the pandemic in March. And I was like, do I go to Arizona with my parents or do I move in with my best friends in Atlanta? And so I moved in with my best friends um, and it's been so much fun. I'm very happy with that decision, but I've been doing my own business the whole time and like it's finally taken off. Like, January, I made like 5k for the first time, and it's like February is on track to do the same. And I'm like, ah, I'm Ooh. so close, but I'm also so out of money.
0: Oh, wait,
1: <laughs> so now
0: I, oh, I missed something. Wait, you said you made 5k or you ran a 5k?
1: I made 5k, so made 5K. I am. Yeah, I'm a public speaking coach for mostly like online entrepreneurs, but I work a lot with like spiritual entrepreneurs. So people that do like Reiki healing or life coaches or yoga teachers or all of these folks that also had to transition more of like their in-person
0: stuff online. (laughs) That's the most specific job I've ever heard of. (laughs) Public speaking consultant for Reiki healers. That is a I mean not industry.
1: just for Reiki healers. Oh well, my god, no, to like, you know uh, I'm gonna say that.
0: You know I'm gonna say that.
1: Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, most of them are trained as Reiki healers, though, so, but they do multiple other things as well. How does one how
0: does one become a public speaking consultant? I'm also I gotta say, very impressed that you uh you pulled down that's that's a decent chunk of change. I would imagine uh, yeah. especially during the pandemic when people are mostly on zoom. So you think public speaking, right. you think here, I'm going to teach you how to be less nervous in front of big crowds.
1: Mm-hmm. How'd
0: you yeah. This so off? I do
1: a little bit of that. I know. Well, it's a whole long story, Chris, so I'm glad we've got a whole hour. Uh, yeah. So I finished my PhD in communication back in 2015 And I was only 25. So I like zoomed through school. You're like, I I know you talk a lot about how much you dislike school. I think Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. system is set up so much for someone like me that like loves it and can, you know, ace every test that's ever put in front of me. So I ended up um, going directly from undergrad into a PhD program and taught public speaking. It's like the. It's like the main class that communication departments teach. Everyone has to either take public speaking or small group communication, which fun side note, um, you have so many communication professors that listen to this show and like absolutely love it. Really? Yeah. Like that's how I found out about it. Shout
0: out to all my communications professors. Shout out.
1: Yeah. You have to start it that way. Like when you always do shout out to all of the professors out there, like they'll love it. Um, so anyhow, I was doing that and I was actually like, also, I had this really cool dual role out of the president's office of the university doing like public affairs, um, and trying to like get basically more like rich old people to give up, (laughs) to pay more money in taxes so that it could, they could fund higher education. So I'd do like tons of presentations and chat up, you know, how great it is for economic development and, oh, let's like do this really cool program for high school kids and, like just went all in on it. Um, But I was also like teaching at the same place that I had done all of my degrees at. So everyone had known me since I was 18 and I had been the student government president too. So like I was really all in on school and I just woke up one day and was like, fuck, is this the next 30 years of my life? Like, I'm just going to keep doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. And because it's how the universe works, I was actually hosting this fellow from nigeria at the time and she had been a lawyer in Niger- nigeria for a while and had quit everything to start this like mobile library for kids um in some of like the rural villages and she was like you can quit like it's totally a choice i'll oh, leave my name sorry gotcha
0: I got you back
1: <laughs> but anyhow she's like you can totally quit Like, you can do whatever you want to do. Come hang out with me in Nigeria. And I was like, yeah, maybe that is what I want to do. Um, So it really, like, set me on this path. I did get to go to Nigeria for two weeks um, and help her implement a project that was really cool. And then I sold everything and joined the Peace Corps um, and did that. Yeah, it was super cool. And so I did that and went on, like, this whole spiritual journey because I was raised... um, a very like conservative Mormon, like not the polygamous group, but like the mainstream ones. And I think you've had some former Mormons on Mm -hmm. in the past, Mm -hmm. but I had been raised that way. And so I had this very like patriarchal view of religion. And I was like, maybe I want to be more like, what are all of these spiritual people always talking about? Like, they seem really happy. Like, what is the purpose of life? Like, let's get down to it because I was living in a little village in the middle of nowhere. was Like, yeah. Now it's the time to figure it out. So I figured out the purpose of life, and one of my um, Wait, what? like to that I oh, the purpose of life is the expansion of happiness and joy. Like, all right. if you just do things that make you happy and joyful, like you're going to be set. Um, the founder of transcendental meditation. It's his quote, not mine, but that's the purpose. Like, that's what we're all here to do.
0: Now, I do a lot of things that make me happy and bring me joy, but I haven't found that it it has quelled my restlessness in life. Mm. But I'll get there. Yeah.
1: Well, and like, I would still say I'm restless. Like, I'm still deeply dissatisfied with how the world is. But I know that my life's better when I do things that bring me joy. I and that, that I can show up and like, yeah, well, and I think you too. Like, you're able to show up. And serve and bring so much joy to so many other people. Like I used to listen to Beautiful Anonymous while I was in the Peace Corps. Like really disheartened. Like, be, like one of the schools I taught at, like they're still hitting kids there. And like, oh, you know, no. how can this be a thing? Where did like, you yeah, get? Right, where, like
0: what what countries did you wind up? Do you say serving in the Peace Corps? What do you say?
1: Yeah, you'd say serving in the Peace Corps. Um, we'll go with like Eastern Europe, because it's, a, so it was around like Albania, North Macedonia, Kosovo, um, and Montenegro. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. because it'll be like, I mean, everyone else know who I am that knows me and I'm totally fine with that. But Peace Corps has some interesting rules to it too. So we'll just keep it a little vague, but those are all very tiny countries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting part of the world too. This is like sometimes, if you listen to the show, sometimes you know that I have like very, very specific nerdy obsessions, like a topic here and there that I've read obsessively about. And I wonder if serving in the Peace Corps of that area of the world, if you worked with the Romani people at all.
1: I did. Yeah. I actually um, was... I hosted a summer camp one of the years um, that I was there that was the Romani. Um, Romani, it, I apologize. More like a sh- Apologize. Oh, no, you're fine. In um, a shkali, um, in Albanian and Serbian kids all together.
0: I've read and a lot it, about the Romani, and mm-hmm. that is one of the most fascinating cultures and one of the most judged cultures and some of the most mm-hmm. put upon people on planet Earth. And that's been going on for centuries. It's wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're still ostracized even I mean, they don't really have a homeland, right? But like that's the point. Um Right. Yeah, I met quite a few. And like I mean, there's one girl that stands out. Um, she was so smart. She had before she was living um in more of like Eastern Europe where I was, um, she was in Italy and she spoke like ten languages was really like the traitor for a lot of like the young people like in terms of going and like negotiating hey like can you give us money because she knew I spoke English and like I was it's a whole long story but she it was just so incredible because like she ended up just sitting in like we'd sit at a coffee shop and have coffee together and chat about life. And she really like switched my perception on a lot of things because the stories I had been told were like, No, like they're marrying off their young women. And I mean that does happen. Like there's a lot of like forced or arranged marriages.
0: Right. And they're all they're all pickpockets
1: and this and that and you go, Yeah. Mm-hmm. All these things, yeah, and like the Albanian and Serbian people that I mostly lived with, they were, uh, they were like, "Oh, f- never!" <laughs> I keep saying my name, okay. but like, never yeah, talk gotcha. to them. This never, might be the highest like,
0: frequency of uh, of names need to be bleeped thus far.
1: <laughs> Probably will be, uh, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. because I got so used to speaking in other languages too that like I just refer to myself differently. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, so she, like, any she's really great, and I really hope can be like a leader in her community moving forward. And that's I, just so strong and outspoken.
0: Yeah. I I've read a, a couple books that were great about the Romani. I think one was called "Bury Me Standing Up." It was really such a good book. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember one of the things that's so unfair to them as a people is, you know, historically forever they were travelers. They were people who went around and crossed over borders. And eventually there were a lot of laws that, that locked them down and said, we're not going to allow you to do that. And then they wound up in communities where they were stationed in Europe. And two things happened. One, um, There were a lot of skills that people... Like there were whole groups of Romani where their thing was they were basket weavers and they'd go from area to area selling baskets. And then when you lock people down and that's no longer an economic thing, you lose this tradition, this oral tradition where those skills... They don't need them anymore. So like if you're not able to go around and sell baskets, you're not going to spend all your time weaving baskets. So, and that happened in in a a number of different areas. And then, so you lose those skills and then you also get told you can't move around, but then you're placed in communities around other people who really are harsh towards you. It, it it, It seems like such a, so much backwards logic that led to so many problems for a group of people. And my heart- Bled when I read about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even that whole area of Europe though is a clusterfuck. Like you if you want to go into like passport ish like they're not like Kosovo can't people from Kosovo can't travel to the EU. Like they don't like they can't travel freely. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Because they're not part of the EU, and then there's even this town in North Kosovo or South Serbia, depending on which part of the ethnic divide that you're in, um, where like the Serbian population has no passports because they don't want to recognize the Albanian Kosovo government, but they were right. technically from like a UN standpoint born there, um, but then Serbia, like they can get a passport but can they really get a passport and like
0: you know and then there's other there's other areas in that section of the world that
1: oh no i was going to say then you add in this whole third ethnic group that doesn't even see themselves as a cohesive ethnic group because they're just travelers but it's one of like the few parts where they can still freely travel so there is a larger i think population there Mm-hmm. Um, than other places, mm-hmm. and yeah, like i don 't uh, I spent um until March when the pandemic happened. I was there like just observing, trying to figure out like where do you even start? The best I could do was expand joy for the kids that's what I, I woke that. up every day thinking about yeah and
0: one other question on this, just because it 's something i 'm fascinated by that you might know a lot about aren't there areas of the world in that general region that are countries that a lot of Americans have never even heard of because they're not recognized in their sovereignty, but they're sort of like put upon lands where there's less laws because of that and and more hardship, yeah. like unrecognized nations, basically, that a lot of us over here on this side of the, the pond don't really understand exist.
1: Yeah, like that whole region has just been in conflict since the Crusades. <laughs> like Miles. and the it's so wild like I'm so like fortunate to have been able to go and experience it for sure and like see what it's like um, but I mean <laughs> if you want to talk about like American foreign aid policy and like I think what happens a lot with Peace Corps volunteers is like you know it's a lot of white people that go and try and be like oh this is Like, uh, America, it's so great. Like, you should buy into our ideals. And then I was there when Trump was president, and I was like, I can't defend this. Like, I don't know uh, what my feel. Like, I'm deeply patriotic, but I'm not one to tell you how to run your country or far less, like, how to run your school. I know hitting kids is bad. Like, that was, I think, the, like, I... I had such clear, like black and white truths in my life, and there was even one point when I was there where I was like, I mean, is germ theory real? Like germs do exist. <laughs> like <laughs> I had to constantly question myself and be like, because all of the old ladies in the village are like, no, f- germs don't exist. Like, okay, what are we're, you? We're gonna have to like, bleep no. your name
0: again. This is this is wild. <laughs> oh my this god! Is, we're we're just about fifteen minutes in. And we got three. And it's already
1: three. I feel oh, like yeah. I already
0: know you more than other callers because I'm so well acquainted with your name. It's really... Yeah, now, when you get to a situation... That that's okay. When you get to a situation in the Peace Corps where you get to schools and you realize that they're hitting children, which is so taboo in, in the Western world. And I don't actually know if that's fair, if calling Eastern... I don't know if I just mislabeled if... If those are parts of the yeah. Western world, I'm, I'm ignorant
1: to Well, it. Sorry, get your question out and then
0: I will. Well, what's the Peace Corps policy on that? Like is part of your job as the Peace Corps representative to step in and go, Hey, this is actually really frowned upon. Can we work on changing this? Or are you instructed, Hey, you're going to run into some lo- local customs that are really offensive to your sensibilities, but you have to respect the local culture.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit of both. And like, Everything is just an area of gray. Like they're not going to specifically tell you what to do. So first is it's like recognizing that the culture is based on like authority and saving face. So there's nothing I can say in that moment to the teacher that did it. Because it would be so, Mm -hmm. like, face-threatening, right? They would feel so embarrassed and so shamed. Which, on the one hand, I'm like, yes, this Mm -hmm. is exactly what I want. But then I'll be ostracized from the community because all the other teachers are going to take that teacher's side. Right, right. And so then it creates a lot more drama. Um, So the best approach is to do this like very short (laughs) like okay so you know how earlier you hit so-and-so actually I'm really uncomfortable with that like can we talk through other disciplinary practices like I tried so hard for sticker hearts Chris but I also was trained as a college professor not as like a grade school teacher so I was like you know going without Book and I'm very good at researching, but <laughs> it was also like a I'm not really sure what to do in this situation. And Peace Corps um, didn't provide a lot of guidance for what to do. Like I think they could learn a lot from Teach for America. So we had a couple other volunteers, um, and like this is where <laughs> when you're like, no, other parts of the world don't do that. People in Louisiana still hit kids. People in parts of Texas, like you talk to Teach for America. Um, teachers that they've seen it here in america like it's not just the backwoods of a random country you've never heard of
0: let's pause there i think that's a really good thoughtful point there's things happening all over the place that we all have a little bit of a human duty to keep our eyes on it's a nice thought let's get some ads out of the way we'll be right back Thanks to our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call.
1: They've seen it here in America. Like it's not just the backwoods of a random country you've never heard of.
0: Yeah. We forget that. We get on a high horse. We get on a high horse and we forget that. Mm -hmm. There's other countries looking at us going, what are these customs you guys are doing? What's going on here?
1: Yeah. I mean, the American dream though, like, and I think you'll find this fascinating because I know how much you love sociology. Like, it's alive and well. <laughs> like there, so I was like particularly in Kosovo a lot, and they love America. Like the Albanian Kosovars, like shout out to them, um, because Bill Clinton. Like there's a statue of Bill Clinton when you walk into the capital city with him waving, wow. and then there's a dress. Yeah, there's a dress shop um, right next to it that's called Hillary. I
0: like that he's waving. There's other statues of Bill Clinton's activities that could be really problematic.
1: Definitely. I know, but they like idolize him yeah. um, because he stopped the Serbian aggressors.
0: Right. Right. I have yeah. to I have to uh, point out something there that I saw what you did. I've never said the sentence, I love sociology in my life. And then you just suddenly slipped in and Chris, you you love sociology. And that's very clear that you've listened to me and that you're, because this is you trying to convince me that I actually like school in some way.
1: You do. I think you're like the greatest ethnographer of our time. I'm the great. Okay. I'm writing
0: that down. And you're a PhD. You're from (laughs) a PhD back. You have a PhD. The greatest ethnographer of our time. I'm writing that mm-hmm. down. I wish more people recognized that because I've always thought of myself as a fantastic think, ethnographer.
1: Fantastic yeah. ethnographer. No, I think, like, let
0: me go ahead and just Google. Getting
1: people on, get FG, tell their stories. Like, Google ethnographer.
0: That's- it's a branch of anthropology <laughs> that deals with the description of specific human cultures. That's true. I do love specific human cultures. And I do. I mm-hmm. wish my dream and I've never figured it out is how to get this show archived somewhere like the library of Congress. I know story does that and I don't want to be pretentious and I'm, I'm a very self-defeating person actually with my self-esteem issues, but I wish that this one could sit somewhere where, uh, I knew that it was going to be, you know, that years from now, yeah. I want people to hear what it was like, man. Anyway, anyway. Um,
1: you no, know, I think, I will help you. I will figure out a way to make that happen because I love that. the archive that you're built is incredible. Like, thank I mean, you.
0: I'm proud. Of I, it. It's a real, yeah. it's a real point of pride to, to see. Um,
1: yeah. I just, I and... still am like pinching myself that I'm on the show. I started listening 2015, maybe earlier. Well, the show started in 2016. Oh, okay. So I was like trying to figure out my life. Um, so <laughs> aren't we all, yeah, <laughs> I know I was like doing the math backwards in my head. And I was like, I know I had just finished my PhD and I had helped one of my friends move to like her first big professor job in California and was driving back. And she was like, no, listen to this podcast on the way back. And it was the one that was on this American life.
0: Ah, nice. Um, that changed my life. Good old yeah. Now I got to say, we just went on this beautiful discussion of what it was like to work in the Peace Corps, in areas of the world that have been, um, you know, war-torn, even in very recent times. Even currently, there's a lot of violence. And I saw a play when I was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2016.
1: Oh, my gosh. How great is Edinburgh, by uh, the way? I was there for like a week.
0: One amazing city. Everyone needs city. to go. Amazing city. It's Yeah. I've always said, I may have said this on the show. I joined a gym because I was there for a full month and it was in the basement of a building. And then you realize, oh, this basement has been here for not not exaggerating, 1,000 1, years. And now it's just a gym I, I can know. join. These buildings, so old and beautiful. But I saw a play. I wish I could see the name of it there. And I believe there was an incident where, I don't think this is one of the, it was either Kosovo or Chechnya. I think maybe Chechnya. And there were, terrorists who took over an elementary school. And it was, this play was based on a real incident and ooh, it was intense. But anyway, you're talking about serving in this part of the world. We have a tangent about what it's like working with the Romani people. And do you remember the question that led us down all of those beautiful rabbit holes?
1: <laughs> Is how do I become a public speaking consultant for Reiki healers yes so while I was doing all of this I'm on this (laughs) spiritual awakening journey of my own like okay what is truth what is reality what do I think about all of this and I came across this self-help author and she mentioned working with a public speaking coach to prepare for her first like book tour and it was like full like do you ever get like that full tingle throughout your entire body where like every hair on your arm stands up and you're like oh Like I had that moment and I was like, yeah, like I could do that. Like I had worked, I, a lot of my friends have run for political offices, like um, they've written books that I've helped them prep for, like, that's what I should be doing. And then I was like, how do you do that? (laughs) How do you run a business? And like, I had all of these conceptions about like, not that money was bad, like, but I think at the root, yeah. Like I really had a, like, elitist academic, like, no. I, and obviously, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. So I should sacrifice and not get paid. Like, that's the way. And then it's really changed in the last three years. Like, I realized that the more money you have, the more good you can do in the world. Like, I think it would be much like how cool would it be if you and i had tens of millions of dollars to distribute like that would, would be so much that. better
0: oh
1: if i had right? tens of millions of like, dollars
0: to distribute uh, of, uh,
1: yeah so I'd much love that. like what would you do what would you do with well if you had 10 million dollars to give away
0: first of all i'm not going to lie to you because I, you're speaking with such nobility about how you'd immediately use that to sacrifice i would keep More of it than you would, it sounds like. And I would do that to make sure that my family um, is safe and protected for a few generations. I would do that. I'm not going to lie. But I think I would start spending a decent chunk of it. And I think it would go towards two primary areas. One would be to um, further the destigmatization and research into the mental health world. Um, -hmm. that's something that's very important to me. I talk about it less because I, I did open myself up so emotionally, uh, when I, when I was uber public about it, but I would put a lot of money towards that. And then I would, I would find a way to help increase infrastructure that would facilitate young artists being able to survive.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, the arts just saved my life so much. And, for me, it was comedy, and so many of my friends wound up being musicians and honestly, even you know, jugglers, professional wrestlers, all these people who go into these sort of creative, unlikely fields. And when you look at it, it's such a struggle for people to get health insurance. It's such a struggle yeah. for people to have 401ks, and all of those things came to me. Health insurance, I was lucky enough to start getting through acting kids when I was when I was younger, but like I didn't have a savings account until deep into my thirties and I didn't have any sort of pension or retirement set up until I had a couple of years there where everything hit all at once. Which a lot of the listeners were there for where all of a sudden it was just like, Whoa. And then I was able to hire a business manager to help me build this infrastructure where I have some safety blanket and most of my artist friends don't. So I w- I would start trying to um, fund the arts specifically to try to see if there's any pathways to get young artists a safety net.
1: I think that's very noble as well and Mm -hmm. totally worthwhile to do.
0: Let's be clear though. I'd also want to build like the world's largest trampoline in my backyard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously that would be so much Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I would still go to like every possible yoga festival. Good.
0: I love that.
1: give away all of my money. But yeah, I think that, like, if we could fundamentally shift, um, have you read this book? It's called Donut Economics.
0: Donut Economics. I have not. Mm
1: -hmm. So the first time I heard about it, because it was from one of like my more spiritual entrepreneur friends. And I was like, oh man, is it like a really woo book? But it's not. Um, She's a, a like big name economist in the UK and I'll probably totally butcher the idea, but um, it's basically like we can't keep just constantly increasing our GDP. Like a good economy is run, I think it's like 2.6% of GDP increase every year or something like that, some sort of statistic. And we can't do that indefinitely, but all of our economic models are based on that. So instead, if you think about it as a donut where we're, consuming the resources but then putting out an equal amount of resources so you like find that equilibrium Mm -hmm. and like that's why it looks like a donut because it's like the resources that you're consuming are in the middle and the resources you're renewing I think are around the outside of it Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like you're not going to constantly take from it so there's like new economic models out there we just like don't hear about in the mass media I guess it was like ever since the um occupy wall street movement like there's been like whole classes of economists at universities like walking out and being like no like this is bullshit like our economy isn't can't continue in indefinite growth and so there needs to be a fundamental change in how money and the power that comes with it are distributed
0: and how did you become a public speaking consultant for Reiki healers (laughs)
1: So, I, yeah, it was like, okay, um, I want to be a public, like, <laughs> I started with the idea that, like, or just prepare, like, really smart people for their book tours. And then, I don't know, somewhere, it like, I got really into, like, tarot cards and, like, more energy healing and, like, kind of on that side of the world. I'm a Gemini, too. So I feel like Me that's too. an important context
0: me too
1: you're a Gemini this is why we love communication so much Chris what I'm day is your birthday
0: may 23rd right on the cusp of Taurus so I'm a stubborn Gemini yeah mines the 26
1: look at so, that'm there with you do you yeah. fall into
0: do you have this positivity that's clearly on display right now and then also fall into pits of rage and depression because I feel like that's very Gemini Yes. Okay. I'm so sorry. It is very so sorry
1: you Um, Yeah. A couple of my friends are always like, you just have such a deep level of dissatisfaction. And I'm like, yeah, like I've been able to go out and do amazing things. And yes. like, I've lived a really full life. Like I'm only 32 and I'm already like, yeah, like I've done a lot of really fucking awesome things. And I am still just so angry <laughs> that there's so many yes. people that are still living like very mediocre lives that could for be like, unfair living, like, amazing life
0: for unfair reasons
1: <laughs> yes oh it's pain exactly this pain like, and struggle why the hell don't we have health insurance like going back to artists not having health insurance i haven't had health insurance as a small business owner doing this consulting for reiki, healing,
0: which no, is not don't laugh. reiki listen healing. i've been needling about you you for a bit <laughs> That doesn't matter to me. As soon as you say, hey, I'm running my own small business. I'm pulling down 5K a month. I'm... It's contributing to an economy, right? Like, if you're helping an author, that means that the author goes out and sells books at bookstores. That helps those small businesses. It means people read Mm -hmm. those books and maybe track down other books from those authors. It helps those authors as their own small businesses. It helps the publishing industry. And you might say, oh, how does a public speaking consultant do it? But that's the whole point, right? Is that we are connected in the economy of people.
1: Yes. Yeah. And speakers make so much money. Like book sales, like I don't know how much money you made from your books, but like they're not typically a big money maker, right? Oh, my God. Probably like five to 10K for a speech or more. Uh, Well, because you do stand-up too. So that's probably a lot more.
0: I do not make that Uh, much for my stand-up or or public speaking. There was a stretch after my HBO special where if mm -hmm. I wanted wanted to be in a public speaking pipeline, making 10K a gig, I could have easily done Mm -hmm. that. And I did a lot of soul searching and said, you know what? I do not care to commodify my own mental illness and... I think mm-hmm. my special brought in money. You get money for a comedy special, but I was very driven to get that message out, and I don't have any interest in further commodifying mental illness. And uh, yeah. I know that circuit is out there, but I said it's just not for me. Even though the money's fantastic, it's mm-hmm. not for me. Yeah, totally. But I'm gl- I'm glad that you're I'm glad you're making, and I but I'm glad that there's people out there who are driven to publicly speak, and I'm glad that you're pulling down five k a month. Helping them. I like that.
1: Yeah, it's really just been so many ups and downs. Like, I mean, I think all the small business owners out there and yourself included know, like, there was one point in December even where I had like $50 in my bank account. And it was like, I knew more money was on the way, but I was just like, fuck, like, this is really hard. Yeah. Um, And so, like, January was my highest month. And so, in that, like, desperation of having $50 in my bank account, I started applying for jobs. Um, cause I was like, yeah, you know, I have this PhD. There's a lot of things I could be doing. And the one that I think is going to work out is actually to like train Dennis what? on public speaking skills. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Wait, how are we just getting to this? <laughs> I know. I, so tomorrow they'll probably make me the job offer because I did really well at the interview and wait you interviewed
0: it, to be a public speaking consultant for dentists
1: yeah like i so it's like a business coaching like their big mission is to have a thousand dentists making a million dollars um a year through their private practices and giving back 10 percent. so i'm like okay they're kind of with me i'm like we can use money for good like There's cool things that, and like dentist offices actually, like when I think about their position and because there's a lot of like more like small town dentists, Offices, so I'd be like flying into like Omaha, Nebraska, and going to some random dentist office in some small town, which I kind of like like the romance of if that makes sense like I have no idea what's in Omaha, Nebraska. I have no idea what those little towns look like around Omaha, Nebraska, but I' really am curious to find out and like who works at the front desks, like what are their lives like? Right. So there's that side of it that I really like. But then, and like, I think I could still swing my business on the side with it. Um, but I'd be traveling to like these random little towns. Um, but Like, but, and then it takes us. Yeah. No, I know. It's, how, when, yeah. how often
0: do, cause in my experience, and maybe it's the, maybe I've just had an unusual experience with dentistry, but I feel like mine is probably the standard. Generally, my dentist experiences are one-on-one. They do not involve much public speaking.
1: Yeah, but when you think about like the dentist has to be the leader for like the five to seven employees that they have. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, so it's about running a practice most efficiently and effectively.
1: Yeah, mm -hmm. it's more on that side than. But yeah, dentists really lack communication skills.
0: And that's part (laughs) of why it's such a nerve It's a nerve-wracking thing to go to a dentist. You dated a dentist? I
1: I mean, I've only dated one dentist, so all of my experience is based on him. But I think that that whole thing is like, I think in dentistry school, they're taught to like kind of not have personalities because you don't want a chatty dentist. Like what do you, you know, like no one wants a dentist that like talks to them the whole time, but the dentist can be like a pillar of their community too and like sponsor the local baseball team and get referrals that way. Like,
0: Right. I guess that's bigger true. Infrastructure.
1: I guess that's yeah. true.
0: I guess I never thought of that. Yeah. Especially cause I'm in New Jersey. That's such a densely packed place. And I even remember that when I grew up the dentist in my town, he was most of the town's dentist, at least my general, the few neighborhoods that kind of, mine and and the other ones that were right next to each other, that guy was just the dentist for the town. And I bet in a lot of areas that aren't as densely packed as New Jersey, that might still be the case. You have the dentist, the doctor, and they're part of your town, and they're part of the leadership of your town in a way. I guess I haven't thought of that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so I think that there's like a lot of pros it. But then I really love doing my own thing and I feel like it's finally like taking off and I'm like, ah,
0: like... It's a great feeling when you do your own thing and it actually works. It's such a great feeling.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I could figure out how to get to like 10K months now Mm. Um, because I have a much more like scalable program because before I was doing like all one-on-one and I was like, oh, that can't like... Like, you just run out of time. Um, So now I have, like, a little group coaching program. And do you know what Toastmasters is?
0: I do. Toastmasters is, is, uh, I think, one of the more well-known sort of group lessons. Like, you go, you sign up for a seminar on public speaking, right?
1: Exactly. And it's usually sponsored by... Like your company will send you if you're thinking of like, if they see potential in you and they're like, Oh yeah, I want to get you promoted. But you can imagine like my Reiki healers and my crystal energy folks, like they don't fit in at Toastmasters. Um, So that's been really productive for me as I run like a Toastmasters alternative for all of these like holistic practitioner types.
0: I love Um, that. I have a story.
1: It's so fun yeah
0: I, I have a quick story that I think you will simultaneously love and hate like like it, you will recognize it so much in a way that you hate and but it might also make you giggle a story you'll love and hate I've got a bunch of those historically we we'll get to that and much more when we come back All right, everybody, thank you for uh, listening to the ads. Supporting our advertisers helps the show when you do so. Now we're going to finish off this phone call. I have a quick story that I think you will simultaneously love and hate. Like like it, you will recognize it so much in a way that you hate, and, but it might also make you giggle. I remember when I was in college, you know, you run into classes where you have to give public presentations. And I went to a state school where the classes were big And I was at a small major and I remember I had a class, probably like 110 kids in it and in a big lecture hall. We all did give speeches and I, I loved it. I mean, I always had that instinct of being a performer, but there was this girl who I was friends with back then. She took so many classes together and I remember she went up and, you know, they say public speaking is a lot of people's biggest fear. Yeah. And she clearly had this and she was like trembling and fighting her way through it and kept losing her place. And I remember she made eye contact with me at one point and she was like right on the brink of it being like a, a meltdown and she made eye contact yeah. with me. And in my heart, I was like, I have to show her that I'm very supportive and here for her. So I just kind of smiled. I gave her like a big smile in an effort to say like, Hey, this is a room I'm here. I know you, I got your back. And for some reason, that smile was the thing that pushed her over the brink, and it just became <laughs> she could not bounce back. And she later told me. She later told me. I, I saw you make that face, and I knew how bad it was going. I, that's when I knew how bad it was going. I've always felt bad. Always felt bad about
1: that. Yeah, when I used to teach at a big state school that class for public speaking, I mean, I just there's some people that it is just so difficult for them. And, um, I do a lot with like your throat chakra. Do you know about chakras? Is that a,
0: I'm vaguely familiar with chakras. I'm not certain what they are, but I know those are a thing in the world of spiritual.
1: They're like the energy centers in your body. And from like a, if you're not in like the woo spiritual world, um, it is like also where your nerve endings all are clustered together. So your throat chakra, like, you know, that feeling when you feel like your throat's closing in on itself and yeah. like, maybe you're really upset and you're just crying a lot and you're like choking out the words, um, from an energy healer perspective, that would be like your throat chakra is really closed. Um, mm-hmm. and so I teach like different techniques for how you can start to like open it back up. And I mean, it's more like just breathing and meditation and visualization. Um, it's not, and I mean, there's throat chakra crystals that I think are just really fun. Like kind of the big realization I had is like, you can believe whatever the fuck you want to believe and you might as well believe the thing that's the most fun. So if I get to have pretty rocks on my desk and be like, yeah, if I hold this one, I feel better. Then why not have the pretty rock on your desk?
0: When you you were a Mormon PhD student, did you ever imagine a world (laughs) in which you'd be talking this much about throat chakras and crystals?
1: (laughs) And crystals. I left Mormonism when I was fifteen. You did so, okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, and then did a really like hard detour into like being an atheist. And I think in like those moments, I would be so annoyed with myself right now. Um. <laughs> but overall, I'm really happy. <laughs> hey,
0: that's what it's all about, right? That's what it's all about. Um,
1: right. This is, is, this Thank has you. been
0: an old school classic BA. Hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this dentistry, the, the crystals, chakras, Kosovo. I love it. Right. I, I, yeah,
1: that's what I wanted. Like, not to be like, sometimes the episodes have been really heavy, but like, I think everyone, like, you can't make it through life anymore without tons of trauma. And mm-hmm. there's, So much lightness
0: that can be found. I'm with Um, you. I I tell you, this show. I know what you mean because there are the heavy episodes. I feel like have been very heavy lately, and I think part of that is just people are feeling such a weight of the world. um, Mm -hmm. But then you know, you get the Groundhog guy, you get the pirate, and I feel like those. Swing hard in the other direction. But I like, love
1: the Groundhog Day.
0: Oh, that Groundhog guy was People really loved that, that guy. He recently outed himself in the Facebook group on Groundhog Day. Which oh, I, thought was a, I thought that was a master stroke of marketing to unveil his identity yeah, yeah, no, on Groundhog Day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's how you market your small business on beautiful not It is. You're going to do it.
0: Well, I'm sure if people want to Google you, you're not the hardest person to unearth. If 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 there's any Reiki healers out there, I'm sure they can track you down for their public speaking needs. I was almost a communication major. I thought a lot about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I tell you what, though. Ironically, being at Rutgers, which was such a massive state school, I actually felt like it the classes were so huge that I actually felt like the communication standards of the class. Like I didn't felt a little lost, but I, I always remember they did one thing that filled me with such glee and kind of showed me the, the, it was like the most basic thing that showed you what the field of communications could be. I'm sure there's so many different tracks, but I wonder okay. if this is like a, just this professor had a great idea or if this is like a, a discipline wide trick they said one of the very first things they told us in this intro to communications class, they said, I want you to go on an elevator and stand in an unusual way. We were like, what do you mean? And they, yeah. go, they go, think of it. When you go on an elevator, if there's one, per- if you're the only person in there, you're standing in the center of the elevator. But if the door opens, you instinctively fade to one of the back corners. And then, the other person when the next person they go to the next back and then the upper right corner and then that fourth person gets on and they will be the one that stands in front of the button panel and you're listening you're going yes that is how my elevator experience unfolds every time and they go watch how someone else reacts if you just turn and face sideways in an elevator or if you stand on the same side of them when you're supposed to go to the opposite c- corner and you do it and you'd feel people bristling and you'd go whoa like our minds are wired are wired to communicate and bounce off each other in certain ways. And by disrupting that in this tiny way, you could feel the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's expectancy violation theory and communication professors all over the world teach it that way. Via but elevator it is wild. pranks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Every, I do that one a lot. Um, And then <laughs> when you teach in like nonverbal communication, there's like a whole chapter in the introduction to communication book um, you can one of my favorite things I teach like this 150 person communication class so I bring two students down and they're one on one side of the room one on the other and I'm like okay so have a conversation at like the public distance apart so you know a long ways apart and then step closer and then step closer and then you get them to like the intimate distance where they're like almost nose to nose trying to have the conversation and it just breaks out into giggles Every time. Mm-hmm. It's
0: so great. So you can see how like, being too far away affects conversation. Then as they enter the zone uh-huh. of, of what is the human comfort like, zone, you see the conversations mm-hmm. get normal, then they get too close and they get really weird. So that's the lesson there. Yep. I'm a genius. Yep. I'm the, I'm the greatest so ethnographer of I our mean. time. Probably the greatest ethnographer. I know
1: it's so fun. Um, another really fun one for introduction to calm students is you take two sets of identical Legos, like the toggle, toddler ones. Um, so both kids have like the same ones, and they're facing away from each other. And one can't communicate at all, and the other one has to build something and try and explain it to the one that can't communicate. And it goes so horribly wrong every time.
0: Hmm. And, and then it's the whole just class is the laughing. Message
1: of, yeah, the whole class is laughing hysterically. And it's like, no, I'm, it's a tower. Just build a tower. And, and like they're sitting there quietly. And then you add in, okay, well, you can just ask yes, no questions. And like you can see how that feedback loop Um, And then, of course, by like the third group that comes or like the third pair that comes up or fourth one, if it's a particularly slow class, (laughs) Um, then they're like, (laughs) "Okay, we got this. Here's what we're going to do. Organize your pieces like this. Build it like that. Um, But no, I mean, I'm fascinated by communication. I always have been. So I had like severe speech problems when I was a kid and no one could understand anything I said until like second grade. And I think it's always like yeah like I still can't say words like curriculum <laughs> like there's something PhD? about like the R's and the you're a
0: college professor who can't say curriculum yeah that I sums like, you up that's like really that sums fast. you up that's the that boils you down to your I essence
1: <laughs> I I just avoid it I say lesson plans But like, curriculum, like, there, I still, it's like the R's and the C's are really hard. And everyone's always like, oh, where's your accent? Oh, you know, I was born in the Midwest, but I don't really sound like I'm from the Midwest. Like, there's some words that sound that way, some that sound very East or very West Coast. I don't think anyone would think I was East Coast, but. um. Yeah, and it was like such an insecurity for so long, and then I don't I just mean like, to laugh I, hearing it's
0: an insecurity, but you have a no, PhD. No, it's so funny, and you say curriculum. I
1: know, I know. Wow! I just say it really fast if I ever have to say it. Wow! But I just, I also think I just say it so confidently sometimes that people are like, "Wait, what?" And then I just keep going.
0: <laughs> How close do you think you are into breaking into the dentist racket?
1: Ooh. I think I'm going to take it if they offer it to me because I keep telling myself that life is really long. Like, I know some people think life is short, but from my experience, <laughs> life is, you actually have a lot more time than you think you do. And I'm like, what if, and like, I love this, too, like um, staying open to creative possibilities. And like, what if like the dentist racket takes me, because I'd really love to work with therapists but own private practices Um, and I've been able to work with a handful too on like their marketing and communication plan. But um, I'm like, what if that opens up that door or what if like, instead of thinking worst case and I'm like, also my business is always going to be here. So why not build back up your savings for a while? But it was a really tough pill to swallow It took many a times. And so I live with my two best friends that did Peace Corps with me and (laughs) they just keep reminding me. They're like, remember when you had $50 in December? I I said my name again, Chris. Oh my God.
0: Fourth time. For someone who, for someone, (laughs) for someone who has a PhD in communication, this is one, there's one rule to this show regarding the way we communicate ourselves. And
1: I know, I just keep breaking it. I think because like saying your name communicates that closeness a lot more. yeah, Yeah. And like, It's such a persuasion tactic. Like sometimes I'm like, wait, am I trying to persuade someone or am I just having a conversation? Like there's definitely a dark side of persuasion.
0: Now I don't want to, I I need to ask you something because I don't want to interrupt this story uh, and your thought about living with your best friends. But why does it make me uncomfortable when someone inserts my name into a conversation too often? It feels like when it happens just enough times, they're demonstrating that they know me and remember me, but sometimes it feels like a control tactic on their end. Why does that make me feel that way? Oh,
1: it's because it totally is a control tactic. I knew
0: it. I knew it.
1: Yeah. No, think about it. If I, so my first job was as like a server at Johnny Rockets of all places. Mm -hmm. And I would go up and like introduce myself and be like, oh no. So, you know, this is who I am. I won't say my name again. And like, (laughs) <laughs> or even, like, even ask people their names, right? And then I would get such higher tips. Like, oh, here you go, Chris. Here's your Coke. Oh, Chris, have a great night. Blah, 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 blah. Like, it's such a tactic to make more money. And, and it works because people are like, oh, like, it's personalized. She cares about me. Like,
0: But I sometimes sense the all yeah. aspects of it. So it can go past a tipping point. Mm-hmm.
1: It does for sure. Yeah. I mean, I probably expectancy violation theory comes up there too. Let me ask so you everyone this. Everyone should Google that one.
0: There was one <laughs> episode of this show where someone kept calling me Christopher, and I kept saying, This is making me feel uncomfortable. And I yeah. actually flipped, I actually kind of flipped out, which I've always felt bad about. Why did that make me so uncomfortable and angry?
1: Yeah. I remember that episode. I don't remember what you guys talked about.
0: I forget. But yeah. I, I ju- I'm just remembering that I aspect think- of it right now.
1: Yeah, I do think it is very controlling, and that you're like hypersensitive to people trying to control you.
0: Yeah, I'm a feral dog. At the end of the day, some
1: people never
0: realize. That's why my TV show failed. Is I'm a feral dog, and they tried to domesticate me, and they didn't realize we were never (laughs) going to come in out of the wild with that show. But that's another story for another day. We have five minutes left. This one has really
1: wow. I know it really has. I am just so grateful that I got through to you. I'm like seeing this as a sign and it's funny too, because I called it like eleven eleven, which is very significant. Number wise, it's all about like new beginnings and hope and inspiration. So I don't know. I think the universe is just like, we haven't really talked a lot about tarot cards, but every time I ask my, so like, I kind of think now I have like a spirit team of like, you know, people on the other side, like, very benevolent, good human, like, not human beings, good souls, I guess, Um, that you can, like, kind of chat with through the tarot cards, or you're just setting up self-fulfilling prophecies. Like, that's my gemini Like, I'm either setting up a self-fulfilling prophecy by using the tarot cards, or I'm communicating with my dead ancestors. It's, like, either way, whichever way you want to look at it. But they keep saying good things about this dentist job, and, like not as many great things about and then I'm like not that it's not great things about my job like my business I think it's like I've realized and this is the line I used in the interview for all the entrepreneurs out there looking to go back to some sort of corporate job is my zone of genius is really in presentation and public speaking my zone of excellence like I can do social media marketing and content marketing and you know sales calls and all of that. Like, I'm good at it, but it's not where my true passion lies. And at first I thought it was just a line, but I think it is the truth. That's like the bottom line of it.
0: I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed speaking to you, my hippie dippy public speaking consultant friend. That has to be the name of this episode, that hippie dippy public speaking consultant (laughs) has to be, has to be, if you're okay with that.
1: I am totally okay with it. I. Yeah. I really didn't even think this is how my day was gonna go, but I love it. And you're just such a delight to talk to. Well,
0: likewise. And I really
1: you. do hope that you get ten million dollars someday so you can set up all of the structural support so young artists can keep creating beautiful work in the world. Well, like that I hope would so would be
0: incredible. I'd build venues, I'd build uh funds And I might, I've always fantasized about even like trying to subsidize um, reasonably affordable artist housing, things like
1: that. Yeah, you know, like that's what's coming through for me. It's like, what about a Chris Gethard commune for young artists?
0: Listen, the idea has been brought up before. A lot of my fans <laughs> often talk about how they all want to buy tents and live in the woods together. Um, this is, this is, I like, if I wanted to be like an actual yeah. cult leader, I think I could have been for a stretch there. And I, 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 I've really backed off of that. Yeah. I've
1: had friends tell me I could be a cult leader too. Oh, and you, it's one of those things that you be. get that. I'd shave my yeah, head if you well, told me to. You know, I was a so I was the student government president. I had a shit ton of power. And at one point I was like, this is like way too much power. Like I can't be in politics. I can't like, I can help all of the other people that like can do those things, but it's too much for me. I, I don't know. I've got to rein myself in sometimes and be like, we can't be a cult leader today.
0: You know, you mentioned you might want to work with politicians at some point. I've thought about the same thing. I, I, I would love, mm-hmm. I would love to be able to consult with politicians on how they can be the funnier politician during a, a an election race.
1: Oh, during like a debate, that would be so
0: fun. The funnier candidates always what? get more likability ratings, and I think there's like six techniques with improv that I was a masterful teacher of. Not to pat myself on the back, where I could go, I could teach you six things, and they'll always make you the more charming person in the debate. But. Yeah,
1: so I think you have to teach those six things at Beautiful Anonymous Con whenever oh, it
0: happens. Maybe you can give a public speaking uh, consultancy lessons and maybe even tarot card yeah. readings or Reiki healings.
1: Definitely. Um, that would be incredible. Me and. Um, my friend that I moved out to California and told me all about your podcast originally, we're committed to coming. <laughs> we're like, whenever Famous. it is, we well, will. Well, as there. soon as
0: we can make it happen, we're going to make it happen.
1: And oh my gosh, she's so fun. So she should be on stage too. Um, she is a sex and relationship communication professor. So she teaches the class on sex and communication. Well,
0: she's, you got to tell her to call in sometime. Give us her contact info. Yeah. Companion oh,
1: pieces. You guys would have a joy. <laughs> now, I had it, I tell you so what, much.
0: our time's up, which I can't believe. And I had a great j- amount of joy with you. I thank you for it. Oh. And uh, I do want to mention I want to say that I'm on record. I do not think I'm the greatest ethnographer of our time, though I'm very flattered. And I do want to say that I have greatly enjoyed stuff that Studs Turkle did. I've mentioned on the show before, there's a, big, a book called Gig Americans Talk About Their Jobs. It's fantastic. It came out in 2000 and it's just interviews with people about their jobs. I love it. And also Alan and John Lomax, who chronicled uh, an amazing amount of folk music in the early part of the 20th century. And they have greatly inspired me. Those are some people who worked in similar, I don't know if they're all ethnographers, but I I, uh, greatly admire what they did and I'm inspired by it.
1: And I think that's why you're the greatest ethnographer of this generation, for
0: well, sure. You have to stop calling me the greatest <laughs> ethnographer of your generation. I can't. You're so, I just <laughs>
1: really want someone to make us story. I, I was just going <laughs> to say, I, so happy. I was
0: just going to say, this is going to come out and it's going to be the new giraffe where people people call me giraffe for like a year after that episode and people are going to come up to me and they're going to go, you know, you're the greatest ethnographer of our generation.
1: No, I'm, I'm just saying, Chris, so if you embrace it, then you can get on the college speaking circuit and easily make 10K a speech. Well, I wish I I got to stop
0: and doubting then, myself because I wish that I could say things like that and own them and be happy about it and figure out how to get some goddamn respect for it instead of always beating myself yeah. up. But it's not about me. It's about you. You've done a lot of good in the world. Woman. We're running over time. You went in the goddamn Peace court and I didn't take enough time to say – You sacrifice years of your life doing that. You sacrifice money. You sacrifice comfort, uh, both physical comfort in certain places where you can get stationed as well as social comfort. It's hugely giving. And I think you deserve any amount of success you have with your own business and with any businesses you choose to work with. Because anybody who signs up for the Peace Corps, I I didn't take enough time to, to talk about how that is one of the more selfless things you can do. And you mentioned Teach for America, same AmeriCorps, same. Um, And I thank you for it. You deserve all the good things.
1: Making me teary-eyed over here. Thanks.
0: Caller, I really mean it. I I wish you nothing but success. And I hope I didn't make this one too much about me, because you really, I, I can't tell you how positive and... Full of, of happiness, I feel, having just hung up the phone with you. Thanks for calling. Thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you to Jared O'Connell, as well as Marcus Ham. Thank you to Shellshag for the music. Hey, I'm starting to schedule some uh, road dates again. They're doing some live tapings and some stand-up. ChrisGeth.com is where the info on that's going to show up wherever you listen. Apple, Pandora, Sirius, wherever it is, there is some version of a subscribe, or favorite, or follow button. When you hit that, it helps us so much. So please do it. If you want our entire back catalog without ads, go to slash stories Thanks for listening.